Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 156, and we've said a lot recently, boy, this is going to be a shorter show than usual. This actually will be because we have guests who have lives and shit to do, and we want to get in as much as we can in a short period of time. Uh, but yeah, we've uh, threatened for a couple weeks to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming, which is, uh, I think this is the last big Marvel. Well, no, we got Thor Ragnarok coming, and then next year is uh, is Infinity War. Yes. So, all right, it's the second to last I'm big... Like- I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ross. Our, our first guest, a uh, longtime guest, Ross Garmel. Go ahead, dude. I'm just correcting you. <laughs> I have it coming. Go right ahead. <laughs> Black Panther. Are you not hearing this? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm very, very racist. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, he's extremely racist, but we all know that. <laughs> I forgot about Black Panther. When, when's that? October? September? January? Uh, someday. I was. I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Before next May. Okay, it, that's all right, Ross. Just scream out my shortcomings. I certainly don't hear them enough from my parents and my friends and family. That's fine. That's <laughs> yes, Black Panther's in there too. I fucking forgot. But Spider Man was one that we were looking forward to because, at least uh, from my end, Spider Man was my first superhero. Uh, it, it, so let let's do the guest introductions for Christ's sake. Oh Christ, this thing's already going to hell. I can feel the pressure of the time. So <laughs> we already introduced. Uh, Boston comedian uh, Ross Garmel, who's been on the show uh, many times, usually to talk about this movie. So, Ross, thank you for being here with me to point out uh, where I fail. Thank you. That's my, my uh, what I live for. And uh, by phone from an undisclosed location, uh, doing the people's business, keeping us all uh, safe from all forms of madness and violence, Benari Polton, New York comedian. Benari, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So... Yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming, this is one that uh, I was particularly looking forward to, but sort of in a weird way, because this is one where we didn't go see it opening weekend. We saw it this past week, and it was just sort of a weird feeling because this is the third fucking Spider-Man reboot, (laughs) not even in my adult life, I mean, in the last 15 years. So in its own way, it felt kind of low stakes, while at the same time, the stakes were really fucking high because now it's a Marvel movie. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Homecoming was appropriate, you know, in, in many respects, but the most most of all, it was bringing Spider-Man back to the Marvel Universe proper, um, which was great. Uh, even though Sony, you know, will own him and, and will keep turning out movies and all that, uh, to, to, it just feels right with, with Spider-Man operating in the same universe as Captain America and Iron Man. It's Yeah, it's supposed to be, you know, this giant universe, and it always felt odd that spider-man was missing that's why civil war was such a cool thing to finally at least get a glimpse of him but when it comes to a full spider-man story yeah in its own way the earlier movies i don't want to say worked against it because we were still really looking forward to it but it didn't feel as momentous as like oh my god we're getting the first captain america movie and oh we're bringing doctor strange into things i really was not looking forward to it that much i mean especially after enjoying wonder woman a lot and surprisingly so i kind of thought like oh Maybe we chose the wrong one to talk about this, uh, this summer. <laughs> I, I had then, moments of that because Wonder Woman was kick ass. That was yeah. a really good movie. Yes, I, I will be on record. Fantastic movie, Wonder Woman, best movie uh, DC and Warner Brothers has put out in the last ten years. So it, it's solid. All right, so everybody, write down the date. Benari liked a DC movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Post Christopher Reeve Mortem. Yes. All right. Everybody liked yeah. that one. Uh, that one and post, uh, the post post Dark Knight. <laughs> okay. That, all right. We'll accept the caveat. But yeah, this one felt like it really had to be good because every Spider-Man movie up until now has had sort of built-in excuses as to why they didn't necessarily yeah. have to be great. I mean, Sam Raimi well, was... Let, sorry, go ahead, Bernard. Let, let me, yeah, no, let me just say that one of the things that I thought was really refreshing about this movie was that it wasn't, you know, saying like low stakes, high stakes, it, it wasn't an origin reboot. We just, you know, we jumped in assuming we all know Spider-Man. Here's his deal. He's the most famous superhero we have. And now we're going to throw him in the mix and see how he reacts you know, in this world uh, that we're also familiar with, the Marvel Universe. And it it worked. It wasn't the best Marvel movie. I, you know, I, I, I think it was a solid outing. I will definitely say it's, for my money, the best on-screen Spider-Man we've ever had. Absolutely perfect on-screen Spider-Man. Um, I can't find a flaw with the performance or, uh, you know, the fact that he makes his own web shooters, the fact that he can't catch a break, the fact that he's just trying to, uh, you know, impress Tony Stark. And then when he's finally given the chance, he's like, you know what? I'm not ready to join the Avengers yet. All of that was classic comic book Spider-Man. That was a joy to see. It absolutely was. It's, I'll, I'll go along. I've got a soft spot for Andrew Garfield's performance as Spider-Man, not necessarily as Peter Parker, but as Spider-Man in Amazing Spider-Man 2. I thought he was pretty close, too. I thought he was great. <laughs> I, I actually thought that he was a good Spider-Man. I, my problems with the Spider-Man 2, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, weren't uh, the performances. I thought he had great chemistry with, with Emma Stone. I mean, the, I believe the relationship between Peter and, and Gwen in that movie. I just thought that it was a terrible script and, like, four different movies jammed together. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you guys can discount uh, what Tobey Maguire did between minutes 36 and 54. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Tobey Maguire, uh, Toby Maguire was a kick-ass Silver Age Peter Parker. <clears throat> you know, that almost stereotypical geek who ca- utterly can't catch a break because we just rewatched Spider-Man 2 on Blu-ray last night, just sort of being, oh, mm-hmm. let's see if it holds up. And it holds up surprisingly well. Oh, parts uh, of it. Well, parts of it. The Peter Parker performance as a classic Silver Age, you know, hard luck Parker, sad sack Parker was excellent. Yeah. It's not 2017 anymore. It doesn't, it's not, it's not 1964 <laughs> anymore. What fucking year is it? Anyway, it's yeah. modern I mean, now. It's a different year. Uh, Who's president? <laughs> also, also the, um, the wrestling Uncle Ben tracking down the robber, you know, first outing as Spider-Man in Sam Raimi's original Spider-Man, um, I think is a flawless Spider-Man origin, like from beginning to end right there, that like 20 minute movie in inside that movie of, you know, he does the wrestling, he lets the robber go, his uncle Ben's killed, he tracks down the robber, finds out that it's the robber he let go. That was a, that was near flawless. And I will, I, you know, it's like for my money, you don't even need to redo Spider-Man's origin on screen anymore because that exists. Oh yeah, it was it was a great origin story. There are parts of the first Spider-Man, anything in between Peter and MJ in, in this, like halfway through the second act, through the end of it. Yeah, there, uh, it, it's been years since I've seen it, but that whole speech of well, I spoke to my friend Spider-Man, and he thinks, and I just cringe at it. <laughs> it's the yeah. first Spider-Man. 
it was exciting because I'd never imagined I could see Spider-Man move on the screen the way I imagined it in the mm-hmm. comics. Uh, and yes, that origin story is as good as it's ever going to get. And that's why, yeah, I'm glad that the the makers of Homecoming understood, all right, we're all smart enough to know where this goes. Now, hopefully someday... But there's something... It, go ahead. There's, there's something just really uh, perfect about Spider-Man not being a man. You know, him being a high school kid who's learning the ropes, that's Spider-Man. You know, he's he's a little bit out of his element. It's every day he's learning with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, that is that is part of the fun of Spider-Man is that not only can he catch a break, not only, uh, you know, is he is he trying to figure out, uh, you know, in the superhero world, he he's still maturing. I mean, that's that's part of the that's part of the whole mystique. And that's part of what made Spider-Man, uh, you know, such a breakthrough in the first place. There, There is this really cool thing especially in those like, first 30, 40 issues of Spider-Man, where all the villains are these old white men, you know, uh, or just, or, you know, some variation thereof. But these, like, old men, you know, it's a very uh, generational thing as well, where it's very much youth versus, uh, you know, the, the previous generation. And I think that that's kind of a subliminal element of Spider-Man that, that's somewhat been missing in the last films. Well, I think everybody sort of recognizes it. I think Homecoming is the first one to really execute it in the best possible way, at least so far. Because, yeah, the the big deal is I'm a kid and I'm in over my head. That's half of why I'm joking, because this is my image of what somebody who knows what they're doing in this kind of violent situation would do. Uh, I've learned from movies, you're supposed to laugh in the face of danger. So... Yeah, certainly I'll, I'll tell all these jokes, but th- this is my impression of an adult while he's learning how to be an adult while he's doing it. And I think this movie captured also, that really well. Yeah, he was also a teenage superhero at a time when kids were always sidekicks. He was he he was the star of the show, uh, and and he was a superhero without having to be you know Captain America's buddy or or hanging around Batman. Um, that was that was also revolutionary is that this was the kid got to be the superhero. Yeah, and historically that really matters. And that's, uh, thinking about it now, that's a place where actually Homecoming kind of falls down because through the whole thing, it's I'm going to impress Tony Stark. That's his whole motivation mm-hmm. up until the third act when he loses say, the suit. By the way, we're going to spoil every piece of this movie at one point or another. We might as well start getting to it now. Yeah, you lose the trailer the, spoiled that anyway. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, he loses the suit. You learned it in the trailer. Anyway. <laughs> Hey, but if if he's nothing without the suit, then he doesn't deserve the suit. So. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but it it really is kind of a step back in that case because his whole motivation is I'm I'm going to impress this adult so I can be part of their world, as opposed to like you said, subliminally fighting against the, the adult world that you know. Again, he's trying to be a part of, but is on his own terms in those early issues. Yeah, but they had to do stuff like that to fit him into the MCU, especially after yeah. the way he was introduced to Civil War. Um, you know, they could have had him separate, like, uh, you know, some of the Netflix shows and and just say they're going to fit him in somewhere else, but they didn't. I mean, they already introduced him in the middle of the mix. So if he's there, then he needs to have some believable motivation. Yeah, and, and I, I suppose – it's not even suppose. Half of the cool thing about this movie is, yes, he's part of this greater universe, so you want to see pieces – pieces parts of it get into it 
It's one thing that really occurred to me, and Amanda and I have been talking about this, is really kind of the hatchet job that Marvel's kind of been doing on the character of Tony Stark for the last couple movies. He's really kind of turned into an asshole. Well, actually, that's one of the things that I kind of really enjoyed was if you're looking at it through a critical lens, the that character would be like that. You know, not everyone is going to universally love him. There are going to be ramifications of his actions. And it's a very consistent characterization uh, to have Tony basically doing the right thing, but he does it in such the wrong way because he, he just, he can't not let his ego get in the way. He was, you know, he was, he was, he was mentoring Spider-Man. He was right. He called the FBI uh, on the vulture. He was, he was handling things, but at too much of a distance. And he was too much doing it Tony's way um, as opposed to, you know, and, and trusting that he was right because he's Tony Stark as opposed to just, um, you know, letting Peter Parker in, you know, return a fucking phone call once yeah. in a while. That that would have that would have solved every problem in this movie. <laughs> that that really is probably the biggest weakness. It's it, all I, I, yeah, it's the I thought the hat. Sorry, go ahead. Bernard. The hatchet job, the, the hatchet job I thought was on Happy Hogan. Because you know Tony will make it out fine, you know. Uh, but but Happy Hogan was probably the most important. Uh, and and when you say the a, a cargo plane filled with enchanted alien technology <laughs> and 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 the most highly sensitive and secretive, most dangerous weapons on the face of the planet and you're transporting it upstate, and no one's on the fucking plane, and you're just going to, like, you're just going to waze it? What the fuck, Happy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what important mission was the Vision on? Getting Tony pizza? I mean, somebody had to have been available. I mean, that was it's the like thing. It's like a 20-minute flight with that thing. They couldn't have one superhero. Put fucking Hawkeye on it. Jesus Christ. But I, I, I wonder, though, if that's a larger sort of off-screen issue between Happy and and Tony because you get the impression that Happy is very much in fear for his job. Whatever communication issues Tony's having with Peter, he's having with everybody else in his life. And there may have been an off-screen, you know, can I have the vision? No, the vision is getting a mani-pedi. It, and <laughs> so now you're the underling who has a lack of resources but still has the job performance issue and you have to deliver regardless of of the circumstance. I think a lot of what's going on with Tony is trickling down and negatively impacting people around him, and it's going to come back to bite him. I mean, I, I think it definitely, because that was the thing that stood out to me when, when Happy in the bathroom is confessing to Peter, oh, I need this job, you really saved my ass. And I'm thinking, really? Tony would fire Happy Hogan, you know, the guy who's been with him since yeah, he was a teenager? Really? This is the kind yeah. of guy that he's turned into? I mean, it's the insouciance and devil may care of Tony Stark it has been fun all the way through, but it's just in the last couple of movies, and we talked about it when we talked about Civil War, how he was almost made infantile with, that's my dad's shield, you can't take my dad's shield, and now right. this being at best the world's shittiest father, and at worst... Yeah, letting his ego say, "Oh yeah, my former driver, he can handle the shipment of Thor's hammer." <laughs> it's it, it, you know, it strikes me they're kind of maybe somebody saying, "All right, you know, we're kind of tired of giving Robert Downey Jr. five percent of the gross for showing up in the morning. Maybe if we need another guy, we can asshole Tony up, and maybe people will accept <laughs> putting somebody else in there." So you're starting to make me think they shouldn't have had him in the movie. 
because he's he wasn't really all the stuff that you're saying is maybe there, maybe not. You know, all we know is at one point he was in India because I guess he's trying to figure some shit out uh, after Civil War, and then he he gets uh, Gwyneth Paltrow back. So if that's what you call figuring shit out, you know, <laughs> having sex with Gwyneth Paltrow, then fine. Not, and they're um, back together now, so that was a nice little thing you just threw in there at the end of the movie. But everything but, is uh, – Tony is taking this complete um, approach to human interaction as it's, it's all assets. It's not actual people. He sees Peter out on YouTube or however he found him back in Civil War, and it's not – a kid who needs to be mentored so much as this will throw them off their game. And then when I'm done with them, oh, well, here, here, have the suit as a consolation prize. I'm done with you. Happy's supposed to actually deal with you. Happy's too stressed because of what's going on with himself and Tony to actually deal with Peter. Um, at the end of the movie, when Peter actually saves his stuff, and if there was ever a moment when Peter would have been perfectly, like, you know, justified in, I'm, I'm not going to save your stuff. Um, that would have been the time to do it, but he is learning, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And I really appreciated that I never heard that phrase in this movie, um, that it was shown rather than told. Um, so at the end, when, when Tony then welcomes him to the new Avengers mansion upstate, I think that's also so, supposed to be where you take pets upstate. Um, is, <laughs> they took Spider-Man upstate. <laughs> yeah. But, that, so that's he, where the vision really is. He's, he's running around. Bays <laughs> through all the trees you want. Yeah. So he brings him up there because he's got a whole building that's going to be the new Avengers Central and no actual staff to populate it. And he's got a, a press conference that he's going to go out and, all right, so Peter is now convenient. It's not that Peter did a good job. It's not that he he really is beginning to appreciate Peter. It's here's a thing I can stick out in front of some cameras to solve my problem. And then when that doesn't work, it's, oh, Happy, you've been carrying around this ring. And, and this engagement is now a complete afterthought. He may have Gwyneth Paltrow back, but that's not the basis for you know it's not going to be a good marriage but that's certainly not the basis for it. like oh let's let's go distract the cameras with our engagement that's about to happen that i had no idea i was going to do when i got up this morning because it's a good thing that happy had this ring for the last 10 years in his pocket so i'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> no and that's fine and there's some stuff in there that i'm i'm going to want to touch on but uh, right now, I'm kind of in Ross's camp. Yeah, I'm beginning to really think it was not a good idea to have Tony Stark there because we've been talking about Spider-Man and we've actually been talking about Iron Man for about 12 of the last 20 minutes. So it's it's really well, as much yeah. a distraction as anything else almost. Because he was back, they didn't give him enough time to, to do him right. So we don't even know. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. I'm probably right. But still, of course. we don't know for sure what to make of it. Right. Because they, they didn't really give us enough cues. Well, and I think this is, this might be a, um, the, the blessing and the curse of the shared universe is that you're going to start seeing character development in other movies as, and it's going to take away screen time from the, from the movie you went to see. So, you know, we were talking about, yeah. look, Civil War was the best Avengers movie they did and that was a Captain America movie. But Tony had more of an arc in that one. Um, but I don't mind that. You know, Black I, I, if you're going to no, do it, though, you got to do it right. You got to do it well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I would say that, like, civil where Civil War succeeded uh, beyond you know everyone's expectations, this movie kind of did the paint by numbers, which will get the job done. Um, but after you're going to start 
you know, if you start thinking about it too much, you're going to start wondering, okay, well, was that really worth it? Was it, was it worth jamming all these other characters in there? Or could I have just enjoyed, you know, knowing, you know, look, I love the running gag of Captain America doing these training videos <laughs> yes. and uh, all mm-hmm. these high school things. That's a brilliant little addition of like, yes, this is a universe in which once Captain America was a thing, when they thought him out, Shield would have him do 150, uh, you know, <laughs> so you got detention. So your body's changing. So <laughs> patience. <laughs> Best payoff. Also, I like the little meta commentary of how many more of these are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, let's let's move away from Tony Stark because see, this is also part of the problem. Is the Marvel Cinematic Universe is shared universe storytelling for amateurs. For people who, oh, I like movies, and I like the fact that this movie references the other one, whereas people mm-hmm. like us who have grown up with comic books are continuity obsessed and can reflect back and forth and understand that everything should connect and everything should have a meaning. And it's maybe we do read too much into it because, uh, yeah, Marvel has trained us, particularly with the events of the last 15 years of, oh, no, you got to read everything and understand everything and everything matters to everything else. I don't we're reading too much into it though i mean i know you want to move away from tony but it's tony's own actions that are the catalyst that creates in essence the vulture because if he didn't start damage control to profit off of cleaning up the mess that the avengers made during the first avengers movie then adrian would have still had a a job and he wouldn't necessarily have gone on a crime spree that is true all right, so let's talk about let's actually talk about let's the talk vulture. Let's talk about Tony Stark then. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, let's let's talk about the vulture. I think, in my opinion, this is probably uh, best, 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 better than hey, Loki. First off, yes, it's it's Michael it's Michael Keaton. He had a he was very uh, relatable as a as a villain. You saw exactly where it was going, but you still felt for him. This was a great culmination, too, of like any character that Michael Keaton played in the 80s, like in Gung Ho or Mr. Mom. Yes. Just gone bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, today he would be a Trump voter. Like, and you would be like, <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's how that guy goes bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that opening scene with damage control felt very much, yeah, like an old school 80s Michael Keaton comedy where you know the punching the guy in the face it could have come straight out of mr mom or gung-ho you're absolutely and right i just want to i just want to congratulate us right back. now because every other review i've i've read or seen you know they'll talk about both batman and birdman when they're putting michael keaton in context <laughs> and nobody nobody has ever thought of gung-ho and mr mom before as the true <laughs> well, clearly he was cranky because he was up late doing an open mic this is directly after punchline and <laughs> He's just, he, he's getting too old. Punchline was Tom Hanks. Punchline Shit. Was Tom Hanks. Damn it. All right, what was he in that he was, oh, no, he was a comedian. Never mind. I'm just going to sit over here. Anywhere from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. This is so Mr. I've Rogers' had, fault. <laughs> hang on. I've had, so I've had this theory for years about gung-ho, right? Congratulations. You've uttered a sentence that has never been spoken in English before, Benari. <laughs> So that's all about that's all about how like jobs are going overseas and that's like the you know insecurity of the working class uh you know blue collar worker from the 80s right so then he saves the job at the plant well how does Mr. Mom start it starts with him losing his job which is almost an identical job to the one he had in Gun Ho you could almost say that Mr. Mom is like a sequel to that 
Well, then this would be the third movie in the gung-ho Mr. Mom trilogy. <laughs> I vote the fourth because I think the loss of his job drove him insane, making him be put into the asylum in the dream team. Ha! I added one. <laughs> okay, so how do, yeah. we, how do we bring I, Beetlejuice I into this? That. <laughs> uh, no, that's in the future, and that's after he's dead. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he killed himself after the dream team, <laughs> so that's Beetlejuice. <laughs> Uh, and, and, he, and, and it's Dr. okay that he killed himself because he's really just one of his clones from Multiplicity. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're through the fucking looking glass. This show is how we start our Alex Jones-ish <laughs> Empire podcasts. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yes, from a, a pure motivation standpoint, I, I think he was probably the best villain, although I'm not sure he's the, the best Marvel villain. I still have a soft spot for Loki. I'm kind of on the fence. Loki I, was great. I don't think any villain scared me as much as Keaton did just like behind the wheel of that car. Yeah. In order to get somebody almost as good, you've got to go to the Netflix series. And I would put D'Onofrio's Kingpin and David uh, Tennant's Kilgrave up there. up there. Yeah. Yeah. David Tennant has to be up there, but, but that, 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 there's your top three right there. Yeah. Um, and also, they're ground-level, street-level criminals with, you know, varying degrees of alien high-tech stuff. But but they're, they, those are your street-level villains right there. But I, I think that Adrian Toomes, for the purposes of this, uh, is number one in terms of, of these villains because it works on the level of he, he's a crime boss and, and they're running heists and he's got some tech that can, you know, decimate you and, and turn you into rubble. But he's also the father that every kid has dreaded on date night. You know, the the one that like when you I come mean, to the door is just because casually cleaning his gun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the reveal. Uh, I I I pride myself on being pretty good at figuring out plot twists. I've said before, I saw the sixth sense. And to be fair, I knew there was a twist coming up. But about 25 minutes in, I'm like, oh, I think he's dead. And then I stopped giving a shit about the movie because all I wanted to know is whether I was right or not. So I consider myself pretty good at figuring out twists. Were you? I, I was completely... Oh, I was right. Yeah, he was dead. But <laughs> Spoilers. A 20-year-old movie. But I was completely blindsided when Michael Keaton opened the door as Liz's yeah. dad. And I thought it was really fucking clever... Uh, on the the part of the screenwriters by naming that character Liz. And Amanda pointed out they never said her last name was Alan. Yeah, we all just assumed it was Liz Allen. Yeah, but as somebody who you know, has wa- watched comic book movies for all these years, it's like, oh, okay, this must be an Easter egg. It's like they weaponized continuity against me. <laughs> and they completely blindsided me with it. It was fucking awesome. Well, they, you know, it was a great thing because she still could be Liz Allen. We don't know what her mother's maiden name is. Oh, that's a good point. That's in, true. In witness protection, it will be Allen. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. <laughs> and and yeah, he just had such a business-like menace to him. Yeah, yeah. Even D'Onofrio as Kingpin and Tennant as Kilgrave, there's some real madness going on there. Uh, there's rage issues that you see in Kingpin and... Uh, 
Tenant is just so spot on as your stereotypical internet nice guy of, but no, everybody should love me. And uh, of course, this is just me being uh, charming uh, in my stalking. Uh, this guy was just, uh, he was as close to a, a real mafia godfather type. It's like, okay, I do this. I'm doing it to take care of my family. I, I don't want to hurt anybody, but I, I will. The, the first time we see him kill somebody, it's, I didn't mean to do that, but it doesn't bother him all that much. And in that way, it makes him a, a little scarier than even if he's just gnawing on doorknobs and screaming Spider-Man while masturbating into a blue suit or something. Well, they had to go for the PG. Right? <laughs> I, that's true, I suppose. Also it, also, it makes perfect sense that this is Mr. Mom Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting possible titles for the episode left and right the last few minutes. This is awesome. When it comes to Peter Parker... Let's talk about the suit. Let's talk about yes. the suit. Let's talk about the suit. I am fine with talking about the suit. Yeah. My initial reaction... I never had a problem with it being a Tony Stark suit because uh, on one hand with all the earlier movies, you know, the Tobey Maguire and uh, Garfield come out with this clearly professionally produced suit, which never felt really true. But then I always reconciled it with, well, you know, particularly with the Garfield one shit, uh, if I can believe he can build a web shooter, he can probably work a silk screen. But well, there's those, you know, YouTube films. <laughs> I'm building Spider-Man suits. Sure. Sure. <laughs> All right. If they have them for how to tie a tie. <laughs> All right. I-, I can get behind that. That's possible. Wait, no, I really want to see if there are. <laughs> <laughs> there are, Ross, but they're assless Spider-Man suits. <laughs> Uh, so I, I didn't have a problem with it being a Tony Stark suit, particularly in Civil War. Yeah, the I have real mixed feelings about the suit lady Karen, the voice in the head, which I'm interested in hear what you guys have to have to think. I think I it was have, I think so it was a real missed opportunity, and it was. What do you guys think about the suit lady? I, I have the dumbest criticism of suit lady that uh, that I I, I ha- I've saved for here. Okay, which is you know. Iron Man, he has, uh, they have the AI all built into it and all of the display screens and everything. But if you look at the size of his helmet and, and the thickness of the armor and all the stuff that, you know, all the circuitry can fit in there compared to Spider-Man's like, you know, fairly paper thin mask, it just doesn't make any sense that his suit can do as ma- all the same things that Iron Man's can. No, it does not. Yeah. Uh, I'm willing to throw suspension of disbelief at that because oh, yeah. I don't want to be one of those guys who like <laughs> that man jumping st- on wall. Yeah, that man sticking walls. to the wall couldn't possibly have that much microcircuitry in his mask. But so I'm willing to accept a certain amount of that. I'm okay with Tony making the suits up to a point because in continuity he did give him at one point the the Iron Spider outfit. So and and we will see that one actual- of the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking horrible. I'm just saying it's it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility because it's it's happened in the comics. Apparently, during Infin- Infinity War, we are going to see the Iron Spider. Iron Spider. Um, Boo! I know. I'm sorry, but Boo. I like this. look. I like this suit. Um, what, what if you see it, it Miles. <laughs> see it on Miles? See it on who? Miles. On Miles. <laughs> Doesn't Miles already have enough going on? <laughs> Does Miles need that noise? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the interplay of like Suit Lady if it's just in this movie, just so we can see how Spider-Man isn't Tony Stark. But I don't want to see it coming back in the future, like as an ongoing thing. Like that's not really, that's not really it. Now you're just making him like teenage Tony Stark, who's you know more ADD and nicer. Well. Uh... What I don't want to see are the specialty webbings 
because that feels very much like current billionaire Parker Industries Spider-Man and the comics, mm-hmm. which I'm not. It's entertaining, but it's uh, I'm about ready for that to go by the wayside. That feels like something very extreme. Like if we're getting web grenades, it should be at the expense of somebody being able to draw feet. That's just <laughs> don't don't bring Rob Liefeld into this. God damn it! Don't you do it. I am. Well, I, you know, I thought that there there was a nice little thing that they were doing where he's just like, just go back to the original, where it's almost like, ah, you know what, that stuff isn't for me. That's not that's not my style. Yeah. You know, if there's if there's more of a rejection of it. I am okay with the suit lady, except I think they missed an opportunity with it. And, and it's that potential opportunity that makes me okay with it. It's what you get in comic books that you don't really get in any other medium is the thought balloon. And they don't use it a lot anymore, but it was good on the electric company. That is true. And that's what got (laughs) me into Spider-Man, but that's a whole different thing. But it's, it allowed in early comic books, you could see what the character's thinking. While at the same time, you can see, oh, this is what he's actually saying. So you could get but Peter. But they just set up Ned. But they set up Ned as the guy in the chair, so we can accomplish the same thing. That is, that's true. Uh, either way, either whether it's Ned, although Ned can't constantly be there because he's got a Spanish quiz, whereas the lady in the suit can always be there. <laughs> so it, it gives the opportunity as as long as we can get the suspension of disbelief that when Peter is talking to Suit Lady. Uh, other people can't hear him. You get the concept of a thought balloon so that, yeah, you can have Peter saying, oh, Jesus, what do I do? What do I do? I'm in over my head while still constantly cracking wise actually against the villain. And Amanda pointed out when we saw this, yeah, there was a lot of wise cracking more than in a lot of cases uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming. But when things got serious, it kind of stopped. And that's sort of a filmmaking shorthand for, oh, this is too serious to be joking. No, that's when he should be joking more. Mm-hmm. Because he's trying to be what he thinks a grown-up is. And you could use Karen's suit lady as the way to get that internal dialogue while still allowing him to irritate his villains uh, with with wisecracks. It felt like short-form exposition. He he had some stuff he needed to work through that he wasn't going to be in a position that he could tell Liz or tell Aunt May or tell um, Ned so it gave it was a good device for him to be able to work out his issues around you know how, how does the suit work? Here are my feelings about Liz. What should I do next you know the the humor in in Karen saying, "Okay, this is a good time to tell her how you feel. I'd like to see a whole series of like blooper reel where Parker goes on dates and he's got Karen in his ear, just trying to like talk him through like Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean and that's the thing she i I think she's got. There's a lot of potential there. Uh, when you were talking about Ned, I'm like, I'd love to see a conversation between Ned and Karen. Yeah, I, I think it would turn into something kind of like um, her with um, Joaquin Phoenix's character yeah. and the AI. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Ned, what are you doing in the bathroom? Nothing. <laughs> like, as long as they, because you know, as long as they continue to have him not interact with her professionally. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a, a problem. It's not really going to be like Tony. Right. And, and by the way, I believe we just lost Benari, so yep. uh, let's prepare for him to... Attempt uh, to recontact. Uh, yes, <laughs> attempt to recontact, although I just got a text 
Talk amongst yourselves, you two. Well, what I found was interesting was Karen was introduced after they were able to break through the training wheels protocol. And it was like, congratulations, you've completed the training wheels protocol. And then he finds out all of the the wacky stuff that the suit can do. And in a way, that's it's more telling to him that he's not ready for it once he finds out, wait, wait this has like an interrogation mode? This has a, a death mode? Like, I don't want that. I'm 16. <laughs> and, and, and so ironically, by the end, when the suit is taken away... He's left with his old suit, which is in a way even more deadly for him because there are no protocols in there. It's it's a sweatshirt and goggles. There's nothing in there. Like you want to talk about taking training wheels off something? It's just you, (laughs) which was supposed to be the whole point anyway. That's true. And I I never really thought about that. (laughs) And that was my biggest argument against suit lady was well how could she possibly have contributed to that and all i kept thinking was if i'm supposed to believe like you said ross all this circuitry can be put into a mask and that some kid uh ned with a laptop could without the use of any cryptographic keys whatsoever shut things off on there because in the real world that's not how any of this works you need a 4096 bit military grade key in order to unlock it yeah he could probably put suit lady into into an iphone for miles uh, miles for for peter sorry benari are you back with us oh of course okay (laughs) thank you for calling back in We, we were continuing the conversation about suit lady and which no of us worries. would if I drop back, yeah. And which of us would no masturbate worries, to drop... the voice? Because it's Jennifer Connolly who does the voice, and that goes a long way. Ross put his <laughs> hand up on video. I, by the way, I believe the answer is all of us. Every single person <laughs> on this uh, podcast would do that. Amanda in particular. No, I, I was in Labyrinth for David Bowie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so was I. Hey, well, wait. <laughs> now Jennifer Connolly and the Rocketeer. Oh uh, yeah. All yeah, right, I'm on board. There's plenty of Jennifer Connolly to go around. <laughs> One thing I definitely want to call out, uh, a moment in this movie that, in a way, no other superhero movie has done, gave me fucking chills, and the movie could have ended right fucking there, was when he was trapped under the wreckage, and it was the callback to mm-hmm. the Lee Ditko Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 33, where he's 33. just got to reach into himself and, and dig deep. Number one, I've never, I don't think I've seen that moment in anything that wasn't that issue. I don't think I've seen it in any of the animated shows or any of the other movies. Number two, that moment, just like it did in that issue, really kind of distills Spider-Man right down to his core in a way that a lot of, a lot of things in this movie worked really well toward classic Spider-Man, but this just described the character completely in just like two minutes. It's, I, I loved it. I thought it was a great moment. Um, a nitpicky thing in the comic book when he does that, when he's reaching deep inside himself to find that extra strength, uh, he's doing it because he needs to save Aunt May. Aunt May is in danger, and if he doesn't get out, she'll die. Uh, and that's what gives him the strength to, to, to reach deep within himself to, to lift the pillars off his back. So I think kind of, you know, in the same way that they made his motivation a little more selfish in this, it's a little bit the result of of uh, streamlining things in the movie. Great scene, I love this. You know, gave me goosebumps, all that. But and I know. can I can see what you're saying. Uh, this it worked really well for me because it's it it spoke more toward like I always think part of the core of the character is, particularly in those early issues. I'm a kid who's 
pretending to be an adult and learning as he goes. And the first thing that happens in that scene is he panics. He doesn't know what to do. He screams for help. That's all he can think of. And while it was a little bit on the nose, you know, he, he looks into the, into the puddle and sees half his reflection that. and half the mask. And that was great. Cause what a great way to get the comic book panel in there too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it also, it, it's, it, it, for me, it was more the come on Spider-Man. It's like, he's challenging himself. It's like, you say, this is what you're going to be. Okay. Then you have to do it and you have to dig deep. And yeah, those couple times where he said, come on Spider-Man. I'm like, Oh, come on kid. It's it really, it, it was the best scene. The movie could have ended right there. Could have been. And then the vulture gets away and they'll fight in the second one. I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's it, that moment was, was that good for me. And uh, yeah, I can't well, imagine can here. Like a little kid saying that too like a little kid playing it like come on use your spidey strength come on (laughs) (laughs) although even with that looking back on that final battle with the vulture and amanda said it earlier where they never really say power or responsibility in this but demonstrating the kind of guy that spider-man should be where power and responsibility is front and center the vulture spent the last moment that gave sorry go ahead that gave me chills is when the moment that gave me chills was when he went into the fire and, and saved the vulture's life. That, that's when he, a, when he drags him to safety. Uh-huh. I'm like, that's Spider-Man. That's ex- that was, that ex- was for me. I cheered. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. It's this guy has tried to kill him for the last 20 minutes. He literally just webbed the crate and screamed, I'm trying to save you. And the guy ignored him. And then he still went back in and fucking saves him. And yeah, you don't, as long as you have a, a an understanding somewhere in your head that Spider-Man is about great power and great responsibility, yeah, we didn't need to be, to be told in this. We saw him. It, you're not going to see much more on the nose. That's what he's about than that moment. So, yeah, they really put that whole third act together really well. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we just rewatched Spider-Man 2, which holds up tremendously well. Primarily but, on the strength of Alfred, Alfred Molina's... Well, he's just, yeah, he's just a, a classic but tragic it, but, villain. But if you look at, and it's just the difference in the directing styles, everything that Raimi does is to 11. So even somebody like Molina is chewing the scenery at times. There, there was no point in time in this movie where I felt that Michael Keaton was trying to chew the scenery. And that was refreshing. Huh. Yeah, no, it's uh, like we said, is everything first- felt very businesslike. Is he the first villain in these movies to live? I guess other than Loki, Loki yeah. But uh, yeah, um, let's see. Ironmonger dies. Did Did Zemo die? Uh, no, Zemo no, yeah, yeah, no. It's yeah, a few have survived here and there. Okay, but a lot of the movies, especially that that first one where you know the the person just happens to die. Uh, whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but this this is the kind of heroism also that Marvel hasn't been showing. Right. Yeah, it's if you think about it, everything Marvel's done except for the Netflix series with the other street level heroes has been very much a uh, no. You know what? And everybody sort of gets co opted into this quasi military organization, and everything is uh, you know, authorized by the government. And it's good to have an old fashioned vigilante for Christ's sake. Just some dude. <laughs> I mean, they they harp well, on. He's, he's literally he's literally the only hero that's running around who's sold mission is trying to save people or protect people everyone else is sort of seeking vengeance or or um you know uh fighting these shadowy organizations or uh saving the universe and he literally is just trying to make sure that you know everyone lives yeah yeah it's they they harped on he saved the cat he did yeah (laughs) that was great (laughs) 
But yeah, the perfect the, movie writing. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, they, they harp on friendly neighborhood <laughs> Spider-Man so much. Uh, but it's really the case. Yeah, we don't see him ever in Manhattan. Everything's in Queens. Or the mm-hmm. suburbs. That was, there was a beautiful moment where, uh, you know, we get so used to seeing Spider-Man airborne in the city and Thwip and he's, you know, bouncing off the Empire State Building and Thwip, he's over here and, and he's out in the suburbs and there's nothing for the webs yeah. to hold on to. <laughs> yeah, the old Ferris Bueller <laughs> running across. Another, yep, Ferris Bueller running nod. across the, uh, the backyards. But go ahead, Benari. And another great nod to comic books. There was a Peter David issue, which kind of goes through the troubles that Spider-Man has when he's side of the city and doesn't have things to uh to swing from <laughs> oh to hell, with, to hell with peter david playing the spider-man 2 video game on xbox if you got stuck in central park your life was shit you were walking for a while <laughs> i already know the pain i didn't need to see it in the movie so but yeah to go back to the the friendly neighborhood thing yeah it's everything was in queens and it was very other than the vulture it's yeah stopping bike thieves and car thieves yeah. giving and directions <laughs> Lady Directions. Exactly. That's what Spider-Man would do. She gave me a churro. Yeah, which is nice. (laughs) And that was another interesting thing. Everybody loved Spider-Man, which is not something from the comic book. There's no concept of a J. Jonah Jameson here. I'm not sure there can be. not in Manhattan yet. He hasn't hit Manhattan yet. Well, that's true, but I'm not sure there can be in 2017. Well, I mean, and there were opportunities where if somebody was going to say, we've got this vigilante running amok i mean yeah there were there were robbers that he were was fighting but look at this property damage this bodega this neighborhood landmark has now been destroyed because of the irresponsibility of this vigilante <laughs> and there's certainly That's true. And, and also there's also like no real room for crazy alex jones conspiracy theorists because in the marvel universe there would be like sex child slavery colonies on Mars because like there's a Thanos coming like like there's a huge vast universe out there with aliens who are who want to kill us and and and, um I'm pretty sure Yondu was dealing in a child (laughs) sex slavery ring (laughs) all we're missing is the pizza did he lure did he lure Peter Quill with pizza then the circle is complete ego the living planet was I think that's I think that's the Defenders plot. <laughs> Ego the Living Planet was systematically kidnapping and killing his own children. Fucking serial killer. Just to power his own whatever. The, the conspiracy yeah. theory in the Marvel Universe is the government has some effect whatsoever. The government is in control of anything at all other than S.H.I.E.L.D. The conspiracy theory in the Marvel Universe is none of this is real. We're all in a in a m- movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, this Spider-Man shit's just a special effect for YouTube. I mean, that was my theory. Why you, you number one, you can't. I don't. I think it would be hard to have a J. Jonah Jameson in a modern Spider-Man movie because you are not going to get better than J.K. Simmons. That performance is no the best of arguably anybody in any the the most on the nose perfect of anybody in any Spider-Man movie. And yeah, I've seen Spider-Man 2 10 times. I watched it again last night and still laughed like a moron every time he was on every time he was on screen. So you're not going to get better than he is. But also, yeah, in the YouTube generation, some newspaper publisher saying threat or menace when on your phone you can be, "Oh no, look, Spider-Man tried to stop that crime. This guy's full of shit." But then again, I mean, we can could do like a Hannity sort of thing, yeah. you know, perverting it all the time, but yeah, I they suppose didn't need so. it though. Uh, yeah, that's the best part. Yeah, that's true. I want to talk about the last to... scene. Yeah, go ahead. All right, fire it up. Go, Ross. I I just I fucking loved the the, the ending. Not not the tags, but when it, uh, when he was changing and and checking out the new suit and 
May caught him and dropped the F bomb right into the credits. <laughs> yes. I was fucking I was laughing so hard my kids were just <laughs> I am I think this is the first time that I truly embarrassed my children. <laughs> oh, but it won't be the last. Oh, no, no, it won't. <laughs> I always liked in J. Michael Straczynski's run that he just sort of did away with the oh, Aunt May can't know and she was actually part of everything. Now, granted, that led to one more day, which is hot garbage. But <laughs> leading up until that, uh, yeah, I found it oddly satisfying. And there's no reason to continue to have that conceit in Spider-Man Homecoming with the way they've set it up. Nobody yeah. believes that Marissa Tomei is frail, not with how everybody trying to get her heart rate up <laughs> in the old-fashioned way. And so th there's no reason for her not to know. <laughs> And and just uh, as an aside to having, uh, it made me so unhappy to see Gwyneth. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. It's we, she, wanted, we wanted Tony Stark to mac on Aunt May, and, and no, <laughs> not she married to Pepper. She wasn't having any of it. I mean, she she made a comment like uh, uh, that was disparaging about Tony about a, a quarter of the way into the movie. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that's even more, you know. That was so that so they needed their meet cute and. <laughs> meet with an m-e-a-t what sure <laughs> i've had a couple beers give me a break they're not all, all gonna be picassos here yeah i don't see any reason why aunt may can't be a part of it i mean my yeah. god she's dealing with peter's coming and going with this stark internship anyway she's clearly got the patience of a goddamn saint you know, she could put up with it. So, yeah, just make her a part of it. You know, the secret so, identities in the, sense in the cinematic universe. Yeah. Yeah. And secret identities are so rare in the Marvel Cinematic Universe anyway. I mean, at this point, we've got it's literally Daredevil and Spider-Man, I think. Pretty much. And I mean, she knows that he knows a superhero. Yeah. You know, so that's already there. And and there, there's going to be second, third movies, some point, you know, point in time when like somebody kidnaps Aunt May. She might as well understand why. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And some of the logic behind it, just living in the Marvel universe, for Christ's sake. You know, no, you can't go out and stop a bike thief. I want you home so when the scrolls invade, we can die together. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Well, I think I think more more of the stakes are gonna be upped because as a as his caretaker and as someone who doesn't Oh, we kinda lost Benari uh, again. Benari's on a train, possibly going through a tunnel, and, and that's gonna have to be extra Okay, you're back, Benari. We lost you for a second. Please repeat your point. Oh, just that in the in in the cinematic universe, I think it, it works because you know she's not going to want anything bad to happen to him. And knowing that he's out there fighting these you know villains, and knowing that he's out there risking his life, um, that will add an, an extra layer. Because at some point she's going to be like, you know what? I don't want you doing this. You're, you're more important to me than whatever you're doing. Yeah, and, and that I think will will continue to add tension to it. Uh, and frankly, it adds more tension to it because, you know, at that point you can have dialogue about it as opposed to, oh, poor Aunt May. You know, her last artery is hardening as we speak. Uh, look, it, it works. It works if you're doing, you know, the, the uh, issue to issue. You're doing, uh, you know, kind of episodic storytelling. But again, we're in the cinematic universe and they have to kind of barrel forward with the plot devices. Maybe she'll get the Iron Spider costume. I was gonna, I'm, 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 I'm not holding my breath, but you know, it would be nice if maybe they're bringing her in on this because she's eventually going to take her rightful place as the Herald of Galactus. That's right. <laughs> oh, or, 
Absolutely. Uh, Amanda, Spider May. Uh, uh, Amanda found that. I had not realized Aunt May actually was a Herald of Galactus and yep. one of the all, and it's in continuity. So what if? What if? Or, no. no it's a Marvel team up with Franklin. Um, with Franklin no. Richards. Yeah. And um, no. she, she assumes the, the power cosmic. Um, yeah, it's issue 137 and becomes Golden Oldie. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love that. <laughs> This is, by the way, after she married Dr. Octopus. <laughs> True. <laughs> but before Dr. Octopus became her nephew. <laughs> Something like that. She It's all this continuity. Yeah, there's always been a soap opera element to the, to the mighty Marvel universe, hasn't there? One, one thing I really did like in this movie was the representation. I thought that the school, um, you know, just the, the amount of diversity that the, the movie had was, was fantastic. Yes. Um, that being said, Flash Thompson's supposed to be a jock. Uh, he's a bully. He's not like some alpha nerd male geek. Uh, that was, I didn't buy that. That, that bugged the hell out of me. I didn't have a problem with that because again, it's the 21st century and when it comes to bullying, granted, uh, I don't spend any time in high schools, but it seems counterintuitive that they allow, uh, the, the, the atomic swirly and being shoved into lockers anymore. It all really happens on, uh, what do the kids use? The Facebooks and, uh, the snap faces and, and that shit. The, the Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The Snapchat. Okay. Uh, so I, I didn't really have a problem with it. Yeah. The, the image of somebody getting their books smacked out of their hand, uh, anything after about 1994, maybe that feels a little dated. I say that as an old dude who, yeah, tries to stay away from kids as much as possible and get the fuck off my lawn. So I could be way off base on that, but I didn't really have a problem with it. Ironically, we were surrounded well, by teenagers the night that we saw this. <laughs> oh, I thought it, I thought it was going to be reason, death, but they were very well behaved. Here, so here's the reason I had a little bit of a problem with it. In that particular school, um, I liked that they set up like, look, in this universe, there's like a school for like smart science kids. Great, that's you know, boom, you put Peter in that element. But Peter is the smartest one then in that school. And one of the things with Flash Thompson was Flash Thompson was physically imposing to him and was better until he got bitten by a spider. He, Flash Thompson was better at the things that were valued at that school. So that made Parker more of an outcast. In this, there's less of a reason for Peter Parker to be an outcast because he's, they're at a nerd school. He's, he's going to be, you know, aside from the fact that he likes flakes all the time. Uh, he's, he's kind of the, the alpha male geek at that school and Flash isn't smarter than him and Flash wasn't better than him at that stuff. I get the impression it was really more of a disparity based on a socioeconomic thing. It's a charter school that I think they pulled this plot line because they think Bendis in the, uh, the credits, they pulled this from Ultimate Spider-Man. So it's supposed to be a, a, a STEM charter school and it, I my takeaway was that Parker's place in terms of the pecking order socially was not as high as it could have been, and that's primarily due to his own lack of confidence. And then as he begins to withdraw even more as he's part of this stark internship, he has fewer and fewer connections in the school. It's really just down to net at that point. So in the, in the absence of that, Flash is is the rich kid who can make these disparaging jokes because what come at me? My dad's got a lawyer. Like it's <laughs> yeah. The, the, See, I, 
that that I buy, but that wasn't in the movie. <laughs> See, I, I maybe maybe because I'm around this a lot. Yeah, um, I, I think I, he. I mean, he dressed like a rich. Kid, he dressed. Sure. And he had that. He had, he was he was the DJ at the house party out in the burbs. He, you know, they, they yeah at the at the rich kids party. I, yeah, no, that that I buy. But and then right. later on, when he when he when he um, gets jacked by Spider Man for his dad's Audi, that was awesome. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Particularly since it was an Audi, and I know Audi has a thing with with uh, the Marvel Cinematic because Tony Stark always drives an Audi. But uh, I've learned just from being on the road, Audis have really taken number one from BMWs for just douchebags on the road. I like seeing bad things happen to people with Audis. It's uh, it just makes me feel good inside. And they did keep that aspect of, of Flash Flash Thompson's character intact the the hero worship oh, totally. of Spider Man. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But yeah, they, they could have done a better job making it clear why Peter's an outcast. Because you're right, in this kind of school, he should be, you know, the king pimp. And know? he might have been, but he's been withdrawing little by little the more he's become involved as Spider-Man. Yeah, and that, true. And that was what he, what he struggled with. It's like, you know, can I can I actually be a part of things or do I need to step up and fulfill my role because I, I've got these special abilities that others don't. And I mean, I think if we really want to get into the, into the head of the character, probably what we saw, cause flash was the alternate who, you know, was, was working hard to become part of the main team of the, of the uh, quiz bowl, which was the, which was like the football equivalent of the school, which I thought was real. I thought that was kind of nice, yeah. you know, so taking, so he, he had to find a, uh, you know, a, a weak, a weak link there. And after mm-hmm. Parker became busy with the Stark internship, then, you know, he found it. And he, and so that's probably why he was uh, giving Peter such a hard time, you know, and starting to bully him is, is part to try and elevate himself over that. Yeah. But I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also ul- a fair point. Yeah. Ultimately the, the kids bullying each other. Boy, that, that rang a lot uh, truer to me when I was 16 years old. Uh, yeah, right now it's not nearly as big a thing for me. <laughs> All right, so who do we want to see as the villain in the next one? Because why don't we start wrapping this up? Because I, I know uh, we lost Benari again. He's he's traveling interstate, uh, and he's back. <laughs> you, never tru- you never truly lose me. <laughs> oh, you're with us always, Benari. You're in our hearts, and I think you're looking through my windows. Either way. All right, so uh, I'm. Uh... Just don't call me your suit lady. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always be Karen to me, Benari. All right, so who do we want to see as the villain in the next one? Because the problem Thanos. is they've done a li- <laughs> <laughs> We do know from D23 Spider- Mono a mono, Spider-Man <laughs> and Thanos. <laughs> nice. Because, <laughs> nice. yeah, most of the big villains we've, we've done at least once, if not a couple times. Uh, I'm worried that they're going to go full-on Sinister Six. It's like they, they can't not metal it's like one villain is good what if we have six like like that's worked out so well in any of the other movies where they've shoehorned in more than one big bad sony and amy pascal seemed bound and determined to do sinister sticks like it's a thing sinister six is not a thing it's to comics fans it is but nobody is going to leave the house for sinister six for christ's sake yeah well you know one of the things that's kind of cool um that they did was they created the little crew for the vulture based on Spider-Man's rogues gallery. So you kind of got a hint of the shocker. Mm -hmm. Um, You had the scorpion, uh, even though he didn't suit up. 
you had Vulture. I think you had the Tinkerer, right? Mason, yeah. Yep. So, uh, so you know, I kind of also like this idea of like uh, kind of a posse of some of these street level villains, you know, with some of this alien tech. You know, you have like here's a rhino and here's the shocker and here's um, you know the scorpion or here's whatever. Um, but I think it would be kind of cool to see Mysterio. Oh, how do you do Mysterio in a way that's that's reasonable on the screen? Because as drawn, he's kind of goofy <laughs> with the fishbowl. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not as worried about the visual depiction, but it, it does open up some some possibilities for good special effects story. Oh, but visually, I just want to uh, point out, I really enjoyed that uh, Shocker, the first guy, had the uh, the puffed up yeah, the, the yellow vest. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because I didn't, and I I didn't even notice it at first. You know, he was wearing yeah. it. It took me a while, and and it was, and, and then he pulled out the shocker thing, and they and they called him, and I said, "Oh shit, he's wearing the uniform." <laughs> he pulled out the shocker, and the movie became uh, unrateable. We're gonna start talking about pegging yep. again. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not gonna talk I, about I, I pegging. Told, uh, yeah, but I, I think that would be a cool one. You know, it, it, it's kind of fun to see. Uh, his, his rogues gallery there. I'd love, I mean, again, we've already seen a great Dr. Octopus, but I, I do think that Dr. Octopus is, a, is one of Spider-Man's best villains. Um, you know, it'd be great to see. See, I kind of, Doc Ock. I kind of want to see for, for some of the reasons that you guys have mentioned, I kind of want to see D'Onofrio's Kingpin because with a crime boss, again, uh, oh. number, number one, we know he's awesome, but number two, it gives an excuse to bring in, not only the existing rogues gallery that we've seen, yeah, bring Scorpion back. You know, you can introduce Mysterio or whatever. It gives you access to these second tier villains that otherwise they would be very tempted to try to elevate to A list and then allow Jamie Foxx to chew the fucking scenery and turn a what should have been a half decent movie into a slog. Uh, I think that's a good way to have an excuse. The way that this one did to have some of those lower lower level villains. If they do that, though, I'd also love. I'd love to see the Green Goblin done correctly. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I, and and I don't know if you saw this, but uh, they had some of the screen tests of the original mask, which looked fucking phenomenal. Yes, that's and, been making the rounds. You know, I, I, part of me wonders if like they're not just like throwing it out there to be like, are people ready to see the Green Goblin again? Um, I, yeah, um, I, I no. have to wonder about that. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to have strong feelings, Ross. I, I'm just, just no. I'm, I've had enough Green Goblin for a while. <laughs> See, the, the tricky part with Green Goblin is Green Goblin only reaches epic status within context of Gwen Stacy. So if you take Gwen Stacy out of it, it's not nearly as legendary as it is in comic book Spider-Man lore. Unless you want to pull elements from the ultimate run rather than the six one six run, and then that gets more I, I into like, I don't I don't like I don't like Hulk Goblin that much. Well, I was thinking <laughs> yeah. more in terms of uh, Goblin's impact on Harry, and and going that route rather than if, if we're gonna be bold enough to not feel like you have to reinvent the wheel with the origin story for you know and Ben's dead and blah blah blah. We all know who Harry, who Norman and Harry are. So yeah, but we we don't have Harry yet. And, well, but I see again. Even that would be how much work would they have to do to start fitting him in? I mean, unless Ned's last name is Osborne. <laughs> 
Hey, and actually, you know what? The more I think about it, we already have the Prowler, right? That's all set. Yeah. Although Stoner Prowler, <laughs> I'm not sure, is nearly as intimidating. Oh, we lost Benari. Benari again. <laughs> oh, and here he is again. Good. You back, Benari? Yep. All right. If they go the but, kingpin uh, route. Yeah, he wasn't that intimidating, but his scene, uh, the interrogation scene, <laughs> you have to be better at this part. <laughs> yes. Fucking <laughs> awesome. And, and the one thing I like about the idea of Kingpin is it then ties Spider-Man into the Defenders Netflix series. And that's really where Spider-Man belongs anyway with the street-level heroes. He really shouldn't be in the Avengers. I mean, you can't have Spider-Man uh, on Netflix but that's really kind of where he belongs, is with Daredevil and Luke Cage. and. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to throw another classic villain, and, but I'm going to throw it too. Um, the Chameleon and Craven the Hunter, which mm. would be very appropriate oh, for today. Cool. You, have like, you have a Russian, uh, but you also have someone who uh, is manipulating uh, perception of things. That could be a really See, I think I Actually, I like the idea of Craven because as we're talking about this, I'm thinking you know, it's going to be after... Uh, two Infinity Wars at least and who knows how much more changes in continuity we'll have uh, before he gets his own movie again. You know, and Craven, I could see being the kind of plot where maybe he does want to want to be out for a while. Maybe it was too much for him, but Craven, you know, it was the kind of person that uh, Craven's the kind of character that would like pull him back in and not give him a choice. I could see that. The, the problem I have Every time I picture Craven, and it's just the strength of the story, I, I only picture Craven's last hunt, and I can't picture post Dark Knight, late '80s. I am the Spider stuff flying in the yeah, Marvel Cinematic you Universe. Build, you'd have to build up to that sort of thing. I don't think you can just do Craven's last hunt, but there would be something cool there. Like his celebrity attracts this international, you know, bounty hunter, big game hunter, the most dangerous prey. I mean, there's there's something yeah. fun. Uh, you know, it's goofy fun, but also visually, it would be fantastic. Yeah, it, but at that point, don't you almost need a J. Jonah Jameson? Because, and I'm going way back to my memories of those early classic Spider-Mans, but didn't uh, didn't Craven sort of respond to Jameson putting a bounty on Spider-Man? Or am I remembering that completely wrong? I make shit up. I tell stories in the bathroom. Do you? Um, <laughs> There might sure. have been, but again, there's there's all sorts of reasons why Craven would want to do it. But again, that's why it would be nice to tie him into Chameleon because comic book continuity wise, at least in six one six continuity, the two are you know very tied together. And yeah, um, in terms of a partnership, you know what? And yeah, if you bring the Chameleon in, he can frame Spider Man, and that can turn public opinion against him, giving mm. Craven an excuse to come out. That could totally work. They like may the bring in Craven to hunt him down. I mean, it was, you know, again, I'm just thinking visually, it would be a lot of fun. And um, and I just hope that they don't go with the jackal. Yeah. Oh God. And and clones. I don't want to see clones. If no. I even <laughs> if I hear the word clone, I am going to go berserk. I'll be at the next D twenty three. I think the easiest thing for them to do uh, would be to bring in the black cat because then you know he doesn't currently have a girlfriend. We know that he's unlucky in love. If yeah, you bring in it, it just a simple like I'm going after this this thief, but she's fucking with my hormones. Like that that's an easy <laughs> movie to do. That could work. <laughs> I like that idea too. There's there's some potential to that one too. And if you wanted to continue to have like, you know, promoting synergy and all that crap, wasn't she like didn't she partake of some of the um special formula that gave 
Captain America his powers? Doesn't she have some of that running through her? No, she's got uh, some kind of power where luck sort of falls on her side. Who am I thinking of then that... The Kingpin actually gave her her weird superpowers. Okay. I don't know who you're thinking of, actually. I will have to Google it later. (laughs) Might be Sharon Carter. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. And we do this every time. And part of me is loath to do it because my opinion of all these Marvel movies is always up right after I see them. Uh, But I I always ask, where do we rank it in all the Marvel movies? And this is artificial because, as I recall, I put Age of Ultron way the hell up there. And it doesn't hold up nearly quite as well as some time has gone on uh so where do you want to put this i I haven't seen it again age of ultron well that's kind of the extra point isn't it you haven't seen the need to go see it again so uh, but with that in mind realizing we we reserve the right to change our opinion uh the minute we see the next marvel movie uh where do you guys uh rank this uh benari why don't you go since we can lose you at any second um well put this Spider-Man performance as the best on-screen Spider-Man performance, but uh, movies, I put it somewhere in the middle. It's probably, you know, in the, probably in the top six, but uh, it's not, it's, it's great. Um, it doesn't outdo Civil War for me. It doesn't outdo Guardians. It doesn't outdo Winter Soldier. So maybe could be four or five. Okay. How about you, Ross? Yeah, I can, I can buy that. I was going to say, I think it's the best uh, single hero movie even though it had iron man as well but (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah what about you amanda i I would say five because i would also put in in my top four probably the first iron man although right you know i i don't i'd have to go back and watch it now because i all of them have their own little flaws and as our perception of tony has gotten colored over time i'm not sure that i would have as initially a positive but that was the the one movie that started the whole thing so yeah, no, that's true. It's a, I literally had it fifth. I listed them out. My my top four before that are probably Winter Soldier, yep. the first Avengers, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two, which I did like better than the first one. I know I'm in the minority oh. there, but uh, and Iron Man. Oh, interesting. I like the first Guardians better. Well, we, wait, let's talk about Guardians now. Benari <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is going to go through a tunnel at some point. <laughs> So all well, right. now you're just making excuses. You don't want to get beaten up over some fucking Guardians of the Galaxy rant I'm about to go on. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll talk soon, Benari. This will be good radio. But uh, where do you rank it in, in Spider-Man movies? I mean, Benari, it sounds like you're putting it number one, oh. and I think it's probably it's, close you know, to that. It's probably close to that because, like, I love the first Spider-Man movie, um, but the fucking Power Rangers Green Goblin ruins it every time. Um I have issues with the second Spider-Man movie, even though it's a good movie. It's probably, it's probably, yeah, I think I put Homecoming at the top. Yeah, I think I put, I think I put Homecoming at the top in terms of Spider-Man movies. Just, yeah. just based on getting the character so fucking right. Yeah, which is fair. Uh, Ross, what, what do you place it? Number one with a bullet. Ooh. Yeah, see, I'm not sure I can do it with a bullet. It's, uh, I'm very much, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very much on the fence. I still have a real soft spot. Until last night, I would have said, yeah, no question, it's Spider-Man Homecoming. But having just rewatched Spider-Man 2, that's way up there. It's, I did not enjoy the Spider-Man No More stuff in Spider-Man 2. And I understand it's a classic storyline and, you know, all the reasons that they did it. But I don't know why you're going to take a big chunk of a superhero movie and show me, and show him not being a superhero. And they also make him give it up just after he saves Aunt May. So logically speaking, in that movie, it didn't make sense that he would give it up at that moment. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with those sentiments. And also I was reminded it, after all of the, the big brouhaha about like, Oh, Peter and, and, and MJ are getting divorced and they can't be together and they're going to make their relationship null and void. And now characters can't be married. I, I was really outraged about that. And then I watched Spider-Man two again and I remembered just how much MJ sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> did you, did she yeah, that, sing? That, that MJ is not, uh, did she fucking yeah, sing in that movie? No, yeah. that's the one no. where she was in uh, the Some importance book. of being earnest. She sang in oh, Spider-Man God. Three, yeah. which I think we can all agree uh, is uh, with a few that, minus a couple of bright spots, abominable. Dance. That has emo dance Parker in that. <laughs> <laughs> I will defend emo. Nobody will defend emo dance Parker. <laughs> Peter Peter Parker, you've been you've been. Uh, you know, taken over by an evil alien entity. What's the evilest thing you're going to do? I'm going to go fucking dance party. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to dance. I'm going to go serve somebody. (laughs) I want somebody to get served because I'm Venom. All right, so when's when's the next movie we're gonna uh, regroup for? <laughs> that we we established before the show, or no, at the, early in the show, we don't know when Black Panther debuts. Uh, I I think there's a, a Star Wars film coming out. Really? Sure. Is there? I hadn't heard. <laughs> little one. I know exactly where I'm going to be December fifteenth. All right, we'll regroup to talk about Star Wars, Is if not the- before that. By the way, way to go! Great fucking synergy, Marvel. Not only did you get Sony to put like you know your biggest star in there and shove a whole bunch of Marvel stuff in your Sony movie, but you got <laughs> Star Wars and Lego in there. Jesus yeah, Christ. we should all be scared of Disney. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they'll own this show in a while. This, this show has no value. Nobody's buying this show. I love my mouse overlord. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I I love Benari that you're in a train doing work for the government that you probably shouldn't talk about on a podcast, and it's the mouse that you're afraid of. <laughs> Nothing but love for the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> the mouse is freedom. The mouse gives us, mouse gives us life. <laughs> We've always been at war with the Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Uh, All right, so if nothing else, we'll regroup for Star Wars. It's a date, kids. All right, anything else you want to talk about about Spider-Man, or uh, should we we wrap this up? Let's see. Song and the thing. (laughs) The song and the thing. (laughs) I'm I'm going through it in my head. It started off with the song. (laughs) You're redoing the whole movie. Oh, that's right. That was a that was a nice little thing doing the big symphonic Spider Man, Spider Man. That was nice. And we still have yet to get. I, I, I think probably since Tim Burton's Batman, we haven't had a good theme song for any superhero movie. Like I'm holding out hope for what a memorable. I, I'm hopeful since Tim Burton's going to be doing a live action Dumbo. I'm holding out hope for you know whatever they come up with for the theme song for Dumbo. And and how dare you denigrate the beautiful genius of Chad Kroger from Nickelback and Josie Scott from Saliva doing Hero from the Spider-Man 1 soundtrack. You have no love for music, Benari. First off, that's a rock pop song and not a theme song. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the orchestra. I'm talking about the... That's what I'm talking about. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> I feel dirty just having said the genius of Nickelback. <laughs> you named him by name. You didn't just know like Nickelback. You know a lot more about him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I worked in rock radio a for a while. Yeah. I had to know certain things. It's not my fault. I swear uh, to God. R.I.P. WBCN. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. In that case, uh, why don't we uh, wrap the show up? Uh, Benari Ross, anything you want to uh, want to plug? Uh, ways people can follow you? Uh, things they can see you're doing online or in the real world? Uh, Benari, why don't you go first? Uh, best way to keep up with me is at Benari Lee on Twitter. All right, Ross, you working on any weird projects that you <laughs> that you want to plug? No, I'm actually looking up my Twitter account. <laughs> 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 I'm at Argar Meal, so if you want to see me bitch about the president for the most part. <laughs> Heavy politics, low comics, but hey, hey. at Argar Meal. All right. Fair enough. We try to keep it out of this show. We fail a lot, but we try. <laughs> All right. And I can't wait to see what happens to Mr. Mom next in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Can we just actually, that's the one cool thing. In, at the end, when they're in the prison and Scorpion says to, to Tombs, we, we hear that you know who Spider-Man is, and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't snitch on him. Like, I want to know how, how long can he hold out? Like, <laughs> that's a good question. But he saved his life. He did, and and Tombs was big on on life debts. Yeah. Oh Jesus! Yeah, I, I thank me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh God. Which That's it, that, which was a it, great telegraph for why he wouldn't necessarily talk. Although there's still that you know uncertainty of no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm gonna go kill him. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Benari, you were going to say something, or have we lost you again? No, I'm I'm here. I'm just uh, uh, no. I'm just trying to think of like, can Michael Keaton just play all the different villains in Spider-Man? <laughs> because he's so fucking good. I'd like to see his rhinoceros. It's not a euphemism. I just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. On that note, we'll wrap it up. Uh, yes, uh, not sure where uh, you may have found this particular podcast, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. I swear to God we're trying to do more on Facebook. I'm just not really good with the Facebooks and the kids, but facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. We are on Tumblr, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. We're on iTunes. If that's how you like to get your podcast, you can subscribe to us there. And if you do, do us a favor, give us a rating, give us a review. It does help new people find the show. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on TuneIn Radio. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network, and you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're going to try to have at least a couple, maybe several shows from San Diego Comic-Con 2017 next week. Uh, probably the first one will be Friday, but we'll see how it goes. We might get excited. <laughs> really... <laughs> spontaneously uh, emission. That doesn't sound good. Uh, put something out early. Uh, and yes, uh, thanks, uh, Ross Garmil, Benari Poulton. Thank you both for being on the show. It is always a pleasure, and it's always a fun conversation. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, and uh, I guess we live in a geek golden age. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, I look back to the first Spider-Man movie where we talked about it on last week's show. We drove around theater to theater because, oh, I have to see Spider-Man, I have to see Spider-Man. And now this is, uh, what, the fourth or fifth movie this year? <laughs> yeah. I still stand by Logan. <laughs> still stand by Logan as my favorite. Ross mocked me last year when I said it was going to be my favorite, but by God. I, no, Logan is so good. <laughs> they finally made a good one. Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. 
All right. This has been episode 156 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you, guys. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's our show. Derp. <laughs> that's the most dignified of taglines.